This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor, and I'm here with Paul. Paul, how are you doing? Hey, Trevor. I'm doing well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, staying busy with family, work, all that good stuff, and still trying to find plenty of time for reading and movies and all the other stuff, too, you know? And you've been managing? I've been trying, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I've always found it where, I, like, for my mental health, if I don't squeeze in reading, that I... I really notice a difference. So even if it means staying up later or waking up earlier or sneaking outside on the hammock or whatever it takes, you know, I usually try to find some time. But yeah, it's always that that juggling act I'm sure that we all deal with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I haven't been reading quite as much um, over the last few weeks. And yes, I do feel it. And yes, it's my own fault. Like it's not that we've been, and it's any different than most any other time of year. Right. Um, it feels busy with the kids home for summer. I know uh, all that kind of stuff, but still, still, it, it's been nice. I have been, I have been reading. Yeah. So I'll start today and just tell you what I am reading right now, and it's one that I think you'll approve of. Uh, last night it was getting late, but I started Susanna Clarke's Piranesi. Ah, yes. And. The first chapter, I, I've read it a few times, the very first little bit, you know, kind of to get a feel for it. And it's got like this, the north hallway to the south, mm-hmm. you know, 10th uh, e- easement and <laughs> you right. know, all these words. And, I, and I've always been like, man, this might take a little bit to get into. Well, I was really just uh, very wrong. After that first, you know, two paragraphs, I felt like I had my ground mm-hmm. underneath me, and I am I am loving that book. That is uh, that has been fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I yeah, I thought it was amazing. I I was going to talk actually. You spoiled me a little bit, but I'm just going to go. I'll, I was going to actually use that as my recommendation at the end, which I'll talk about it a little more because okay. I thought it would tie in nicely to our theme today. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. I mean, that book. It's one of those where I loved her other work so much, and she had this huge gap of time before that one came out. And so when I heard it was coming out, it was this mixture of excitement and anticipation. But I don't know about you, but for me, when there's an author that I love that much and they have a limited number of works and they have a new one coming out, I always have a little bit of like, not When's dread. the bad one coming? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, I just, you have them up on this pedestal and you're so afraid that they're going to fall off. And so anyway, yeah, but no, spoiler alert, it did not, she did not disappoint in that one. I love it. So none of the nothing falls off pedestals in this book because I well I'm that's up on true a lot of pedestals there are a lot of pedestals that's a good point. I don't remember any uh, disastrous yeah vases or statues falling but um yeah no I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it I I love it I think she has such a knack for what we're going to be talking about today just bringing magic into a book in a way that like even as an adult I, I feel like I rarely can get that feeling that I got as a as a kid you know that yeah. kind of just they drop you into this world and you you go for it completely and, and immerse yourself so yeah i'm glad to hear that that's awesome there's just all these nice mysteries i love the voice i mm-hmm. love the way she's able to the, this completely foreign world to me like i say i mean it, it's it's she weird drops you right in it, and you drop right in you don't even think i mean at this point i don't even think the character has any idea what's going on yeah or not just what's going on but what has gone on with his own life and it's pretty mysterious in a good way very intriguing mm-hmm. i'll i'll report back when i'm done but uh yeah, yeah very i'll be curious to hear what it. you think and we can chat a little bit more about her at the end because i could talk about her all day long I, I love her i think she's amazing it's yeah 
I'll, I'll stop there. So I don't will you save going. it for the end? Well, yeah, because yeah, I I am interested in your thoughts. I've read um, uh, Norel. Oh, you have, uh, okay. but I've remember. never read the is it the Ladies of Grace Adieu or something mm-hmm. like that. I've never yeah. read that one. But yeah. but but but, but, but well, I, I'm I'm going <laughs> to drag I'm going to pull it out of pull it out of you before you want to go there, and I I will I stop. We'll it doesn't take much to end. twist my arm. I, I could just. <laughs> We could spend this whole episode on her, but I'll, yeah, I'll hold off for now, but we'll get back to her. <laughs> okay. But yeah, good, no, that good, sounds good. great. No, I, um, right. I, I just started, it's called Zori by Laird Hunt. I don't know if you've heard about that. I saw it kind of popping up mm-hmm. around the internet. I'm pretty early on, but it's about, it's basically, I get the impression it's, it's the life of this, this lady, Zori Underwood, and it's set in Indiana. And so far it's just basically kind of just tracing her way through her life. And it's kind of. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of like Tinker by Paul Harding, or maybe even a little bit of Stoner. Not, not. I mean, again, no. I'm not far enough into like, and that could be completely not what it turns out to be. But as far as just kind of the quietness, and it's just following this fairly quiet life and, and just giving it kind of the gravity and importance that it deserves without a lot of drama or anything like that. So like I said, I'm early on in that one. I'm really, um, really enjoying it so far. And I was just going to quickly touch, I, I just finished reading a couple of books that I just wanted to to mention drifts by kate zambrino have you heard of that one no i'm well the name sounds familiar of yeah. the author but not yeah. the book again she's one of those that i just kept hearing about and people were just raving and so i um at a recent one of my first trips back to a, a real live bookstore after all this i picked that up and it's just it's gorgeous it's beautiful like fragmented these really dreamlike snippets um, I saw it described as an intimate portrait of reading, writing, and creative obsession. So, and I think that's very accurate. It's about this woman. I can't tell how much of it is semi-autobiographical. It seems like it could be, but it's always that's always dangerous ground to get into, you know. But, she, you know, this woman who's working on this really difficult novel and it's causing her a lot of problems. So she's just spending the days walking around with her dog and she's emailing back and forth with fellow writers and, you know, talking a lot about like Rainier, Rainier, Maria Rilke and other writers like just kind of dropped in. So yeah, it's one of those books that I, I just really love that it's beautiful. I think Drifts is a perfect title for it because you just kind of drift your way through it. And it's one of those books too that's dangerous because it added a ton of books to my the TBR <laughs> wish list and my, you know, a bunch of films. You know, it's one of those where I'm just jotting down things, which as we all know, is probably the last thing I need, but it's also one of the most fun <laughs> things to do. So yeah, and it also has some really beautiful passages on motherhood that I thought were just you know really striking. So anyway, that's a really good one. I would highly recommend that. And then the other one I just finished, who we've already talked about this author a few times on the podcast, but Roberto Bolaño, I, mm. I read his Last Evenings on Earth, which is a collection of short stories. Have you read that one? Yes. Yeah. yeah oh, my I God. I love it. Oh, it's so good. It was, I think, like we said before, like maybe the third Bolaño. I, I've read 2666 twice now, and then I... I, I always forget the name of the other one that I read. By, oh, uh, by, by Night and Chili. I know you didn't like exactly. it that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did. It's just, I feel like it was one of those where I need to, it's one of those where the fault clearly lies in me. So I just need to revisit it and make sure that I got everything I could have out of it. So, but anyway, this was my third one and boy, yeah, just everything that I've heard and, and so far have loved about Bolaño, just all of these like drifting artists and writers and lots of like people on missions and, you know, kind of quixotic min- missions that never quite pan out and just, Oh, so good. Yeah, there's a line yeah. at the end that I thought was, or not at the end, but it just partway through that really blew me away. It was, we never stop reading, although every book comes to an end, just as we never stop living, although death is certain. And it's just yeah. like one of those little gems that's just hidden in the middle of this 
I saw you, you know, tweet that out. Oh, man. Just when I read that, it just one of those that just stops you in your tracks, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. All righty. We are here today because both Paul and I have, have touched on our pasts in on Twitter and on other forums where we've been members, yet I've never really talked with Paul very much about it. And so I'm going to call it our, our fantasy uh, background, mm-hmm. <laughs> our fantasy youth, yep. uh, meaning... You know, both of us grew up in the the eighties and nineties, going to the bookstore, these you know little B Daltons in the malls, and just going right to the fantasy section and staring at those pictures. And at least I'm maybe I'm making assumptions. I'll let you talk on your own experience uh, for sure, Paul. In case it's not quite exactly mine, wow. but uh, sounds sounds pretty accurate so far. <laughs> but we, uh, you know, going in there and and then picking up a few specific titles or, or, or authors, you know, I think we've both, you know, you, you mentioned the Belgariad before we started uh, reading. Yeah. I certainly read those books. What was the other one called? There's the Belgariad, which uh, the is five books, and the Malorian for yep. another five books by David Eddings. Um, I read a few other series by David Eddings. You know, I don't know, maybe we'll get into Terry Brooks, things like mm-hmm. that with the Shinara um, series. But yeah, we're, we're just going to kind of talk about, what that felt like as kids, what that meant to us in our reading. I think both of us stopped reading fantasy books, at least at that type of fantasy book mm-hmm. for a long time. And I have kind of started to revisit it. In fact, um, just last night I finished the great hunt, which is book two of the wheel of time by Robert mm-hmm. Jordan. I I'd read that when I was, you know, a kid, I think it was published in 91 yeah. and I read it pretty pretty much around that time period. I'd read the first five or six of those Wheel of Time books that came out through the 90s. I know I didn't read book seven. I'm not even 100% sure I read book six. I'll have to see when I get back to it. But then I just, I stopped. I never, I never went back to them. Yeah. Even though as a kid, I would have, I would want to uh, come and, and slap me around right now. Right. You know, <laughs> you have all of them. And you're not reading. You didn't finish it for me. Do you know how long I waited for this? I know. I've been so excited. This is such a kind of a a big part of my life, you know, thinking about these books. And I will tell you, it was interesting going back to reread The Great Hunt because it's just a a story that I, at that time, knew so well. Even though I only read it once, it's just, I guess, that time of life, you know, where things just stick a little harder. For sure. And it was amazing how much of the stuff that I remember from The Will of Time came from that book. I'm, I'm actually really curious if I'll remember book three, four, and five as much because yeah. I'm like, this is everything that I can remember. This is uh, this is it. But it's been uh, a lot of fun to go back and revisit it and kind of uh, remember to, I remember where I was when I read this. This was oh, on yeah. the, this, this particular part, I was on the couch up in our living room. And this part, I remember I, we were on a drive, uh, you know, mm-hmm. down in, you know, someplace in the West and this part, you know, it's just kind of fun to, to have those uh, flashbacks. Absolutely. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah. So just as a, as maybe a bit of foundation, uh, fantasy can mean a lot of things. And mm-hmm. so I am going to see what you think of when I, when I introduce this topic, mm-hmm. what do we mean and what don't we mean? even though it can mean many things will for the purposes of our conversation, what are we talking about when we talk about our, our fantasy uh, background? I mean, for me, I think just, and, and probably for a lot of people, I think my 
the way I frame it is probably largely around Lord of the Rings. I mean, like that was just uh-huh. foundational to me as a kid, you know, my dad, they were yeah, important, me too. important books to him. He read them to me. They were on the shelves. They were always kind of looming. And so accurate or not for me, a lot of what I frame it around is just that idea of, you know, there's, there's wizards and there's elves and there's goblins kind of this and high, dragons. Is that high, high fantasy? fantasy. Is that what I think exactly it? right. Yeah. Kind Swords of the, and sandals and dungeons mm-hmm. and dragons kind of stuff. Exactly. I would say, you know, for most of my life, that was definitely how I would have framed it. Um, mm-hmm. Just exactly what you said. Like, yes, swords and sorcerers or however you want to frame it. And as as we talk about a lot of these books, I think it's funny because a lot of it was probably framed by Dungeons and Dragons. Like a lot of those book series that came out that I read so much in my you know middle school years were really marketing tools for, you know, <laughs> those gaming systems, which at the time, you know, I didn't really know. I, I was never a gamer or anything like that. But yeah, I, that's definitely how I frame it. And then I think we can talk at the end. You know, I, I feel like it has evolved a little bit. Just talking about yeah. Susanna Clark and things like that. Like, and not to say that it, pro- it was probably always there, but at least in my mind, what my understanding of fantasy has probably shifted and changed a little bit over the years. But as far as yeah. our conversation today and for most of my life, I would say that is absolutely the way I would define it. And I kind of, I feel like people will know what we're talking about. They, mm-hmm. There, of course, are other things. I mean, they're, they're, fairy tales have been around forever and yeah. they're fantasies in, in many ways. And they're even fantasies in uh, the ways exactly that we're talking about with dragons and swords yeah. and castles. And, oh, yeah, and a lot of, of it was a huge influence on, obviously, on Tolkien with mm-hmm. a lot of the mythologies and things that he studied and languages. So, yeah, for sure. It's not like things just started when he wrote those, but... Those, you know, as far as what I understood, they definitely yeah. were like the defining point. He's kind of the granddaddy, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I think worthily so. Yeah, I read The Hobbit last year to my youngest boys, who were both under ten, and they loved it. And I loved reading it again. I haven't read that for you know decades, mm-hmm. and I was surprised, particularly at the beginning. I think it kind of gets a little bit bogged down by how fast can I write the rest of this plot out right. as it goes on. But the beginning, the way he introduces the hobbits, their general demeanor, it, I oh, thought yeah. it was so funny and so well done. Mm-hmm. I was delighted while I, I would read him a chapter every night and they're pretty, yeah. you know, those are long chapters, but it was they a are. delight. It never felt like a chore. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's something I was going to talk about is just, it's been fun to start to revisit some of these fantasy books and see them through your kid's eyes. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, same thing. I mean, I don't know. My dad claims that he started reading me the Hobbit when I was three and that he would kind of skip over certain parts and stuff. But according to him, I was enthralled from the beginning. And I mean, that's definitely the way I remember it. I remember them just being like about as formative as anything in my life at that point, like to the, to the point where I'd riding in the car, I would be looking out the windows, you know, in Colorado and we'd be driving through the mountains and I would not really be expecting to see like elves peeking behind the trees, but like your, (laughs) your imagination was so active that like you were kind of playing this game with yourself where Mm -hmm. you were viewing everything through this lens of those books. You know, I mean, I really do think they were, yeah, I mean, that's just the way I saw the world for a long time. Well, uh, so here we are again, we really could have grown up in alternate realities, but the same (laughs) kind of youth because that was me too, especially after I watched like that, uh, Ralph Bakshi uh, version of the Lord of the Rings, where it mm-hmm. just gets you through the Helm's Deep battle. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's the animated uh, Lord of the Rings that came out, I don't know, 79, 80, 81, something around there. Yeah, that's the one where it's kind of over. It's like this kind of experimental form of animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, they're using I like real that. people. Yeah. Um, yeah, that 
terrified and in, and engaged me from the beginning. I still remember a series of nightmarish dreams oh, that I'm I had sure. where orcs are uh, approaching our house, you yeah. know, where I grew up. And, and I can still picture those moments where I'm in my room and just thinking, I can't believe this is happening. This is, this is, terrible you know because there's that as they're approaching helms deep there at the end they're chanting hitting the drums that just that just captured me and um and yeah i remember playing with my cousins and we'd play lord of the rings this kind of games out Mm -hmm. on the trampoline and running around the yard and i would say that i started with tolkien and Mm -hmm. the hobbit as well even before things like c.s lewis and the the lion the witch and the wardrobe i mean that came relatively a lot later in my in my youth yeah, and didn't affect me nearly as much, even though I do really uh, love those books too, mm-hmm. and I've read them a couple times to my kids. For me, even though I knew this wasn't true, but still for me, that's what it meant to go and find a good book to read was see how close you could get to Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and it's a it's a good standard to have, especially at that age. But yeah, it's funny too because well, and problematic, and maybe we'll get into that here in a bit yeah. as to why I may have left reading fantasy for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's funny too, especially now. And I'm sure it was true at the time because I know that he had a huge resurgence in the 60s, you know, even before I was born. And it's not like Tolkien ever went away, but part of it is just having that limited worldview as a child. But I remember feeling that it was kind of like my, not a secret, but like I felt like I was onto something that a lot of people didn't know about, or like there Mm. was this kind of protectiveness around it, which is really funny now, especially like given the movies and the internet. I mean, and, and like I said, it's it was true even then, and I just didn't know it. But I mean, these have impacted the entire world. They're translated in a million languages. Everybody, you know, everybody knows about them. But at that time, for that little period, it was kind of like this little secret, special thing for me, where it was like I said, the way I kind of viewed the world, and I would have these copies, and I would just spend so much time looking at the cover, and you know, every little thing. And it's just that little like secret that you have, which, if if you knew the truth, is not actually a secret, but. Well, that might be a really nice way to get into how I kind of developed into reading more fantasy. My mom was a big reader and read quite a bit of fantasy and had books on the shelves. And my older brother, he's 11 years older than me, and he read a lot of fantasy. He graduated in 86 and left home not too long after that. But we've always been close, and we still talk all the time and see each other a lot. I'll see him tomorrow, actually. So it's just, we're close, but it was really fun at that time of my life to have them as as people picking up these books and reading them. You know, he read Stephen King, and so mm-hmm. I started reading Stephen King well before I should have. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, things like that. That's what older brothers are for. Yes, exactly. It's a good thing, I think. But it was the covers that they mm-hmm. of the books they were reading. It was when... They talked to my brother-in-law after after my sister got married, and uh, they they my brother-in-law went to the bookstore and bought the third the first three books in the Shinara um, series. Mm-hmm. At that time, that was like all there was. You know, it was the the first three. What is it? The Sword of Shinara, the Elfstones of Shinara, and the Wish Song, mm-hmm. the Wish Song of Shinara. <laughs> The tongue twister. Those uh, those three books, and I remember looking at them because he brought them back in the bag. You know, again, probably beat Alton bag. Oh yeah. And I remember just seeing these covers and thinking, that's pretty fun. There's a whole world here. There's a lot of promise. I can still picture each one of those three covers. In fact, with The Sword of Shannara, I still, there are 727 pages in that paperback book. And I remember because when I finally started it, that was the biggest book that I had mm-hmm. ever read at that point. I was pretty young, and I remember, I remember finishing it 
and I just knew all along it's 727 pages. I got to get to 700, you know, I can do this. I can do <laughs> yeah. this. 727 pages. And it, that's stuck with me all my life. I've never reread it again. Just that, that intrigue of those covers that aren't, you know, if I look at them now, I'm like, uh, there are a lot a of great covers. Yeah. There are a lot of great covers out there and these aren't necessarily among them, but, uh, no. but they, they're big deals to me in my life and it oh, still yeah. hold a lot of uh, appreciation and reverence because they got me imagining and intrigued and, and digging in and reading. Absolutely. No, I, I remember on the Dragonlance books, which I'll talk about, or, you know, I'm not going to talk about them too much, but they were definitely one of the formative ones a few years later. I remember sitting on a car ride and I had the cover of that one and I'm a terrible artist. Terrible. Always have been. Always will be. <laughs> but I remember sitting there and just sketching, you know, like looking at the, the book and sketching out the entire thing with like the, the warrior and the, you know, the, I don't remember who all the wizard or whoever's on the front of that one and, and the dragons in the background. And just like you said, the amount of time I spent just staring at those covers, drawing <laughs> them, you know, yeah. it's absolutely, that was a huge <laughs> part of it. I mean, those marketing departments or whoever it was that came up with the idea of, of creating those really intricate um, covers were very, they knew what they were doing because it captured my imagination for sure. And yeah, I mean, my, my early kind of days were similar years, like where my dad had a lot of them on our shelves, you know, the, the Tolkien's and Anne McCaffrey. I don't know if you're anybody in your family ever read those, but like those dragon books. My brother did, but mm -hmm. for some reason I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either, but it was more, they were just up on the shelf and they were kind of, like you said, they always intrigued me. I would see their spines. I would look at the covers. And, and so that started to build my curiosity. And then, you know, over time, I think I kind of started to dip into a few of those, but then, you know, I don't know. Did you guys ever have like the book order system through school, like troll or scholastic books? Yep. So yeah. that, in addition, because B. Dalton or Walden Books in the Mall was absolutely my main source where I would go up to the shelf, like you said, and spend time. But I also started flipping through those catalogs of Troll and B. Dalton and some of those. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting like this. I thought it was a very nice box set of Lord of the Rings. And I remember getting, talk about a nerd. I, I took contact paper and covered all these little paperbacks with contact paper to protect them. And I still have them. And they're probably the worst covers that that series ever went through there. They're hideous. Um, <laughs> but at the time it was like, I saved my own money. I bought it through that system. You wait at school. And then, you know, one day, six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is later, they come in and, you know, it's this feeling of excitement. So started to yeah. slowly also build up my own collection. I remember the headboard of my waterbed <laughs> had like these built-in bookshelves. And I remember each time you'd get a new book, you know, sticking it up there. That's probably the, yep. the beginning of my uh, book collecting <laughs> problems. This that is go such on to this an 80s uh, podcast right it now. Is. <laughs> I know. Waterbeds and Walden books. and But yeah, so I mean, I remember that too, like you said. And, and you know, we can kind of start to get into it. But we moved in my seventh grade year. We moved from, you know, we lived up near Denver. And we moved down to the southern part of the state. And it was a really small, isolated town. This was pre-internet. So I kind of felt like I fell off the end of the earth, you know. It was two hours to the nearest city that even had mm -hmm. a mall and so you know for one thing whenever we did go to the mall it was a big deal and i would kind of save up my money and and go spend a couple hours in walden books and collect them but i do think actually that that had a lot of to do with why these books became so important to me at that time of your life you know around seventh mm -hmm. grade you know that's a, that's a formative time and to feel like you were kind of isolated so i i think that there was definitely a lot of immersion and like having kind of like these little friends of yours lined up next to you, you know, that you could revisit and spend time with. I mean, I think absolutely it probably had a lot to do with, you know, who I am as a reader today to some degree, just the the comfort you find in books and, and things like that. But yeah, also the fun of it too. So 
looking back on it, I definitely think the timing of it was a lot to do with it. And the fact that there was no internet. So that was like one of the ways that you could kind of escape from your normal life and kind of, you know, spend some time traveling the world or traveling other worlds. Oh, it's I actually went to the mall for the first time in, I don't even know how many years. Uh, last night with my wife, we, there was a oh. restaurant there that we, we went to on the outside of it. And it's just, I don't know. I, I'm fine with, with things moving on and stuff, but it's crazy to me how empty the mall is and there are no bookstores. No, no. Uh, I remember when Borders went out over here, it was like, even though I rarely shopped at Borders, just the idea that there's no longer this big, I mean, we still have Barnes and Nobles, but yeah. that one was actually in the mall. And it was, it kind of was like a personal thing. Like you said, going back to like remembering spending, like when you went to the mall, that was one of the things you did is go to the bookstore. And that's not going to be anything that most kids think of the mall. Yeah. Yep. You know. Yeah. It's just fun to kind of think back on this. I remember when we, when I first went to a Barnes and Noble, I, I grew up in Idaho. There wasn't one there until I was mm. in, you know, quite a bit older. Uh, I remember when it came finally, but as a kid, I remember going to some city that had one and thinking, whoa, there's yeah. a big bookstore, a big one. It's not a B. Dalton or a Walden Books. It's a, right. it's huge. But yeah, up until that point, I would just get whatever books my, my family had. Yeah, the Scholastic and Troll Book Orders. I think that's where I got the Dark is Rising sequence mm-hmm. by Susan Cooper. I was lucky enough to get those when they were absolutely terrifying covers that I still look back on and think about, you know, those super evocative that there's one of them. I don't even remember which of the books. It might be The Dark is Rising itself, where there's like a um, a writer writing towards you on the on the cover. And he's got an owl face with like horns, you know, antlers coming out. Oh, yeah. Yep. And holy crap, that. I uh, know. <laughs> And I love those books, but it never quite matched my expectation from that cover. <laughs> They're not quite that horrific and right. uh, and dark, but I still love both the cover and I, and I do love those those uh, fantasy books mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Let's maybe kind of move on a little bit here, you know, as we get to more maybe toward where we both stopped um, reading that kind of fantasy again i think we both read harry potter as they Mm -hmm. were coming out um, Mm -hmm. based on you know other conversations we've had and those are fantasy of course Um, right but but for our purposes today maybe a little bit different than what we're talking about i i didn't read any of these kinds of books for years i i probably stopped in the in the late 90s when i was still reading the will of time yep again the the fires of heaven had come out and the lord of chaos had come out that's book seven, or sorry, six. That's book five and six. And I think I bought book seven, but I know that I never even um, opened it and read it. I no longer even have that copy. And I would say I never went back until, like, I'll get into it till relatively recently, a few years ago. And I kind of thought that I had completely moved on from fantasy. Right. I probably would never reread them. Fine if my kids want to read that stuff, because it, it was there, but... But maybe in kind of a, not I don't know, maybe not necessarily embarrassed of my my youth and my literary upbringing, but I know you a know, little dismissive, I, I, maybe a little dismissive. Yeah, I became you know I I I went I got a master's degree in English and taught at um, at uh, Brigham Young University for a few years uh, mm-hmm. before I moved on to a different career, and 
that just wasn't literature to me at all. Right. You know, it was, it, and it wasn't why I read and it wasn't what I wanted to read. And it wasn't what I felt was necessarily proper for me to read now that I had grown up and all of that. That was an interesting thing. And I do think some of it was because so many of the books were starting to feel similar. Yeah. Um, it was the Tolkien, you know, again, Knock even off a little he, bit. Yep. Yeah. Even, um, even Robert Jordan's the wheel of time starts with the eye of the world. And that, starts with young kids in a village, you know, a scary thing comes, but also at the same time arrives some wise, but you know, foreign wise people who come oh, and yeah. take them out because dang it, they're going to save the world. Right. You know, it's the sort of Shannara, same kind oh, that of one. premise. <laughs> that one, looking back on it, I mean, that's, that was about as big of a knockoff in some ways, especially the first, <laughs> the first book is you could ever find it's, it is mm-hmm. funny. Like, and yeah, exactly what you just said. It's that, as you start to realize that as you get older and read more of them, I think that was the same disillusionment I went through where to some degree you're, you're, even if you're not, depending on the age, you start to realize this, you may not be putting it into words, but you start to realize like a lot of this stuff is starting to sound the same. There's always that kid who it turns out was, you know, destined to save the world. And and the funny thing is even like Harry Potter, I mean, that still does it. Yeah. But, so there's still a lot to do with the skill of the author and this in the world building and all that stuff. But Another thing that started to turn me off about fantasy, and I, I don't mean to lay it all on the feet of Robert Jordan, but I really do think a lot of it was he he embodied what was starting to frustrate me was that no story could ever be told in less than you know nine volumes that were all 800 pages. <laughs> and in his case, in the middle of that series, I don't mean to like discourage you because I, I know you're reading them now. And maybe if I read them again, I would have oh, a different I'm, view. I'm very but, familiar with the issue. I'm I'm wary yeah, as I go yeah. forward. I mean, I just remember even as much as I love them, because like you said, the first three or four books of that, that was about as captivated as I'd been probably since Lord of the Rings. I mean, they were, there's some amazing stuff in those books. And then somewhere in the middle, it, for me, it just started to get off into like the weeds to the point where I was just losing interest and like having to, it was the early days of the internet, I think when I finally ditch that series but i was there was like a early wiki kind of page for like who the heck is that again like they haven't mentioned that person in two books and like you know like i'd have to go in and start <laughs> trying to like make flow charts and everything and so anyway and then of course on top of it all you know it took so long that eventually he just he was not able to finish the series before he passed away mm-hmm. and so to me that kind of embodies my problems with fantasy and kind of one of the reasons that i moved on was just you know, some of the great literature of the world has been written in 200 pages, 300 pages, 500 pages, even Lord of the Rings, you know, was not that long if you look back on it compared to some of these other things. Mm -hmm. And so I think I just started to get frustrated with like, it felt like padding or it felt like just wanting to sell more books or, you know, whatever the case may be. So yeah, that was kind of when I started to, you know, halfway through Robert Jordan's series, I kind of skipped out, but I was going to mention there were a couple times that I pinged back over the years in between. And it hasn't been as recent as you because I it's been a while. But one author that I read probably the most recent fantasy author that I really remember reading would probably be Guy Gavriel Kay. Have you ever heard of him or read anything by him? Uh, heard of him? Never have read anything. Yeah, somewhere couldn't around... tell you what what the books are either. Like a, it's a name I know, but I know it's not registering anything yeah. else for me. I mean, I I've only read uh, one or two of them because again, I was kind of at that point where I was ready to move on, but. That, to me, in some ways, gives even more of a recommendation to this book called Tigana, T-I-G-A-N-A. I read that one in the early 2000s, and 
yeah, if, if you're ever looking for another one to, to consider another author, if, if you kind of continue this fantasy exploration, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend this one. It's, it's really good. I don't even remember all the details of, um, you know, exactly all of it, but, you know, looking at Wikipedia, you know, it basically sounds like it's set in a fictional world. that's kind of somewhat modeled off of Renaissance Italy. And I remember there's just kind of some rebels mm. and, and they're, and they're trying to fight back for this kingdom, but that one, I mean, I, it, I I have very fond memories of that one. It's another doorstopper. It's like 675 pages. But that was one of the few times post-Robert Jordan that I've kind of, at least in the in the true tra- traditional uh, fantasy that we were talking about, gotten back into it. So, you know, I've I've sniffed around, but I've not yet really plunged back in. You haven't you haven't jumped in. Well, let me maybe I'll, I'll I'll get into that then because you know you talk about being disillusioned and for sure for sure that's a sense that I uh, of what I would use as well. Mm-hmm. But I may have disillusioned myself again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to to appreciating a lot of what is going on, I don't necessarily think that we're wrong in our impressions of you know there are time periods of this. You can you can kind of track trends and such with fantasy mm-hmm. publishing and see what was coming out and, and what types of books were coming out. And I do think, and maybe, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who can point to exceptions and pro- probably even launch a really great counter argument to this. But I think by the, the nineties, it was getting stale. You know, right. things were, I, I could not imagine writing a different type of fantasy book or reading a different type of fantasy book than what we were reading. You've got, you, you even got some great ones like the Tad Williams um, trilogy mm-hmm. there that um, I, I think was really fantastic and imaginative, but do you still have the the kind of impoverished child, you know, uh, orphan who finds out that there's greater things, uh, you know, same old tropes. And I, I just wasn't going to get back into it, but I, I did, I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put the name out there. I've, I've talked about it before, but Brandon Sanderson, Mm-hmm. is uh, currently writing a lot of fantasy and um, and even some sci-fi and and things like that. And uh, he and I were at Brigham Young University at the same time. And I remember when he published Elantris, he was still there and he put like a little poster outside of his carol. I mean, did I talk about this on the podcast? Even I think you just touched on it briefly, but yeah, oh. go ahead. I think it's fascinating. And I remember thinking, that is awesome congratulations that is so cool you know and he was publishing it with tor which you know that was robert yeah. jordan and a lot of the books that you know i knew that i knew that this was a big deal and not right. just like he didn't self-publish from yeah. some you know in, in the early 2000s <laughs> it would have been um would have been a not not a great move i don't think right. um, but got got a publishing contract with tor i was very thrilled for him i didn't know him like personally we didn't hang out or anything I told him congratulations and that's really awesome. And you know, that's about it, but I never read the book. It was Elantris, his debut novel, and I never read it. And then he, uh, he himself, you know, a year, a few years later, I've moved back East to, to work in New York and Robert Jordan dies in like mm-hmm. 2007, 2008. I can't remember which one. And I'm thinking, I knew it, you know, as sad as it is, I, oh, yeah. and I felt terrible, but I'm like, this was destined to happen when you couldn't wrap up the series after, you know, not quite 20 years, but pretty darn close. And mm-hmm. like, um, what 11 books at that time. Yeah. Um, and he's been working on the final book for a few years by the time he, he passes away and he died. It didn't just, you know, he was still relatively young. He was in his sixties and died of a disease that 
he kind of knew it was coming. It was, it was sad. You know, I felt bad for him because this was important to me, you know, as a kid oh, yeah. and, and still felt that sense of gratitude to him for being, you know, a part of that and, mm-hmm. and writing these books. And then he himself didn't even get a chance to finish it. Well, lo and behold, Brandon Sanderson is tapped to finish the the series and he meets with the publishers and they're going through it and he's supposed to finish the, the, the last book. And he looks at it and says, I, I can't, it's not one book, you know, uh, sorry. It, and, and it's three, you know, three big books. So he writes books 12, 13 and 14. And it, that doesn't make me want to go and read them, no. um, uh, you know, to revisit them. But I was like, that's pretty darn cool. Who oh, is that's this amazing. guy, you know? <laughs> but but again, it ne- didn't get me back into him. Though I, I will probably uh, admit that when I knew they were going to be finished, I was a little bit like, huh, okay, maybe there's a chance now. You I know. know. I think one of the reasons I stopped was I didn't think it would ever get finished. Yeah. But my brother was still going through them, and he he did finish it as they were coming out and said, you, gotta, you, you, you might want to do this. Brandon Sanderson knew how to wrap up the series. It wasn't the same old, same old of, well, it needs three books. It was, he recognized all the things that needed to kind of be addressed. And he made it a really captivating, fun, but you can see the threads tying up as mm-hmm. you're reading. And that provides a little bit of a sense of satisfaction and probably relief. Oh, yeah. Man, <laughs> if he hadn't been able to do that after that long and that many people investing decades of their lives uh-huh. and, and all the obsession that you know fantasy fans tend to pour into things, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. It's kudos oh, to him for even being able I to like, imagine. I, I, I would have run out the door screaming if anybody asked me to do that. I mean, that just sounds so daunting. <laughs> and and who knows how, I mean, he had written a trilogy called the Mistborn trilogy mm-hmm. by that time. And, and it was, I, I, I don't know how uh, he talks about it. You know, I, I actually now follow him quite often because I actually think his, his, his way of talking about reading and writing and all of that really resonates with me. Uh, just this enjoyment. He 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 loves it, and he well, yeah. at least he he infects me with a, a a love of it. You know, even more than I've already felt. It's just right. fun. There's an enthusiasm there and an appreciation. And I do wonder if he hadn't done this, would he be where he is today? Um, maybe, maybe not. Because I I do think he then while he is while he is working on this this cap cap off Robert Jordan's career for all of his fans. He publishes a massive book called The Way of Kings. I don't remember how many pages it is, but it's pretty darn big. And it's book one of 10 in the Stormlight Archive. And again, I knew it came out. My brother-in-law, who who, uh, lives in uh, town, and I'd actually gone to college with him and all this stuff, picked it up and, and read it and said, that was really good. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. But I still wasn't going to go into it. But in the middle of that, that's what he publishes. That's what he drops down. The, I just kept on getting more and more intrigued, mm-hmm. more and more and more and more intrigued. And then my mom read it. And then, you know, my sister, who doesn't read any fantasy, read it and uh, really enjoyed it. My brother, of course, had been reading them all along and, and said, oh, these are great. You know, yeah. this is this is fun. And I'm still kind of like, well, great for you. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, it wasn't so much that. I just had a lot of other things to read, too. I mean, right. I, I've got books coming in from publishers of things I love. Why would I stop to read a 900 page book one of a, of a big series? But, but I finally did. And I, I, I did, I loved it. By that time, the second book had already come out and it was, you know, gigantic as Mm -hmm. well. 
even there, I was still kind of like, well, do am I really going to get into it? Well, yeah, I, I'm into it now. Okay. I, I am really enjoying it. Book four came out last year. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm a Brandon Sanderson completist, even though he's written like he can write faster than I can read. I mean, he publishes oh, books all the time. I think I talked about this on a previous episode. Like while he's doing all this other stuff, he's also writing like these YA things and these other mm-hmm. things because both of my kids have read. I don't remember the names of the books, but they both read books by him. And I think I told you this when mm-hmm. I mentioned that you knew him. They were both like, I think he went way up in their eyes. They were like, wow, <laughs> dad's hanging out with somebody pretty cool now. So <laughs> someone um, who, who has ran into this, uh, this, yeah, this author. Exactly. No, it's just, it's crazy. And actually one reason I would actually consider plunging back in is so far he's proven that he is not only prolific, but can keep the quality up. And it seems like we'll see if he gets bogged down, but it, he has a good chance of actually finishing some of these things. Well, so there is the fear of him getting bogged down. O- only I'm, I have faith in him because he he's aware of this fantasy bloat. Mm-hmm. He's addressed it. He had to he had to pr- troubleshoot and problem solve one of the prime examples of yeah. how it can start to go wrong and and fix it. And so I think he's hi- hyper aware of that in his own work and. The other thing is, he has said this is how long the series is, and he sometimes I'll listen to like a reading of his on on YouTube, and he's like, "This little passage here is actually in book eight of oh, of, wow. the, of a," and I'm like, "Well, we've we're just reading book three. So, so this he, guy has spreadsheets, seems, and yeah, he oh yeah, he's got he's got this kind of figured out in his head. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you want to know the 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 nightmare, but also what makes it so intriguing to me? Yeah, let's hear it. His, his books, not all of them, but many of them are in the same universe and tie together in ways that are going to become more and more important. They are still standalone. Like you can read Elantris, his debut, and never read anything else and enjoy it. It's not, he he wants it to be that way. He wants people to be able to read what they want to read and not feel like, oh, now I've got to go and read, you know, 30 more books, which I think his plan for this thing called the Cosmere, it's up to like 35, 40 books. But again, you don't have to read all of them. But it is very fun to do yeah. so because it isn't just like cameos in, in each book, but the, the worlds themselves and what created them is part of the big story and why these worlds have their problems mm. these and their magic systems and their their dark lords. And, or, you know, I'm using that word in quotes because they're right. not like dark lords or anything. Um, but the reason why they have their issues does go back to some of these well, in the in the ancient um, history, godlike events That's that play out in all of them. No, it and sounds it, like it is. It, I mean, he he has that that passion and that organization of a Tolkien, where like the Silmarillion, and he had all these pages of languages he's written. It sounds like he has a lot of that background, <laughs> oh, but he geez. also has the. You should well go go just grab one of his books and look at the back. I know people okay. hate this, but I love it, um, and he does have like his magic systems figured out and he attributes okay. that to like p- growing up playing video games or dungeons mm-hmm. and dragons. You have rule based magic and that's just how I think about this stuff. Yeah. Now. Anyway, sorry. No, uh, no, I was just going to say he has that. So he has this background and he has that passion, but then he also, like you said, has kind of those warnings from Robert Jordan and you know, mm-hmm. now George R. R. Martin as well, who's run into the same issue. So it's going to be interesting to see because he, he's not going into it blind and it sounds from what you said, like he's very transparent about a lot of these issues because what you said about mm-hmm. Robert Jordan, I mean, I know a lot of people, again, the, the passionate um, 
fan base that some of these books get with George R. R. Martin, there's this hate mail and you know, all these things. I followed his blog for years just cause I was so curious about this new series coming out. And I was, I bought like the first four books in the songs of ice and fire, but never actually read them. I was just, I have the be- same boat. I have, yeah. I have whatever ones have come out. Yeah. But and it's I've for the same reason, because I'm like, I've been hurt before. I'm not going to commit to you <laughs> until you can show me. And unfortunately, it's looking more and more like I might have been wise to hold off. But mm-hmm. I, it gets to the point where, for me, it's not anger with these people, because I can completely... Right. I can commiserate with, like, I mean, not personally, but I can understand how you would start out with these great ideas, and you have so much enthusiasm and passion. You are just writing away, and then you get so many of these threads that you start to lose control. And at this point now, with George R. R. Martin, especially with the way the HBO series has played out, I just I feel bad for him because this well, was his baby. So much pressure now to oh, do yeah. it right. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know he, he's you know in the in the bank you know in the in the wallet department. It hasn't hurt him <laughs> at all. But outside of that, I mean, having followed him for years, I mean, he loved this stuff, and, and he has so much passion. And there was these communities of people getting you know stuff I would never do, getting tattoos and whatever, and these people are all in and to feel, I'm sure he ha- he feels like he's letting himself down, letting them down. I mean, it just, I, I do feel bad for him. So yeah. with Brandon Sanderson, it sounds like he has kind of used some of these examples and, and maybe, you know, learned from them. Well, he also teaches writing. Um, he talks about his own writing classes as being, you know, things that are helpful and he approaches it as a craft and a discipline. Uh, he's got a specific way of doing things and of getting through it. it, it he's very transparent. He, he he does a weekly update where he says, here's, I'm writing this book. I'm now 66% done. I'm now 71% done. Wow. And he doesn't, you know, he, admit, I, I don't know exactly how many pages this is going to be, but yeah, I have it pretty darn close because I've done the work mm-hmm. and I know that this section is going to have to be, you know, 10,000 words. And I, that's where I'm working right now. But he, but the, the reason I think he's kind of, um, you know, and who knows, maybe things will fall apart, but he does approach it that way of storytelling. Like this should take 10,000 words to get the yeah. emotion and to get the pace that makes it feel a, a certain way for the reader. Yeah. And I think he's able to, to, to do a lot of that. And he also talks about how finishing a book is different from the middle part. You might write, uh, you might find it easy to write a middle part or an ending, but they're not the same thing. And in order to know how to finish a book, you have to write the endings to certain books. And I would think he might, I don't know if he ever has, but he might say the same when it comes to a series. Yeah. It's tough to to wrap it up, but once you've done it, you can figure out how to work through those issues and get to there. Yeah. No, it sounds to me like he's kind of taking a page out of like, I always compare it to like, British television versus American television, where a lot of these Mm -hmm. British TV shows, they'll be like, we have three seasons. Each season is six episodes. And then, you know, they have a story arc ahead of time. They plan it. They leave you wanting more, you know, like you think of the British office, for example. And even though I love the U S office, like how it kind of, you know, the American model is more like, well, people still do it until people are done. Exactly. Until they wish it had finished three seasons ago, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, it's that whole idea, like you said, of, I, I love that. I mean, I think that whole idea of just, you know where you're going, you plan it out ahead of time and, you know, you follow through on it. I mean, that's something that's missing from all types of media. And even though his world is big, you know, as within the, the, the bigger project that he's doing, as well as in the individual, you know, series or books, I think he's a really good storyteller. His writing doesn't get in the way 
you know, that's something actually that I, I'd never have bought into the, the idea. Well, or at least it's been a long time since I've really thought too, too hard about what is good and what is bad literature. Hmm. It's so frustrating to me. Anybody who gets on and says, you know, what you're reading is not really literature. I guarantee there's someone who says the same thing about your books and and has a good argument for why that's the case. You know, well, that's, that uh, that's just a New York Times bestseller. NPR, what do they know? You know, oh, well, there are a lot of people who think those are that's what you should be reading. You know, it just kind of goes in this really vicious circle. So, you know, I, I get all the things about YA or fantasy or romance and all of that, but there and there and there are different purposes for a lot of this. You know, if I want to read the Magic Mountain, for example, which mm-hmm. I know you finished recently, that's very different from these books and does different things and hits different spots of who I am and what I want as a reader at different times. Yeah. But there's also a part of me that oftentimes wants a really fun, deep dive into a story, you know, yeah. into someone who can spin a yarn and make me excited to read the next page. Absolutely. Which doesn't always happen with, you know, what's going to win the booker, you know, no. this year and all that. And I think more and more, I mean, everybody reads for different reasons, but I think the only time, and, and again, it's not any kind of judgment, but I think anytime somebody limits to themselves to any one type of thing, I mean, it, it, if they enjoy it, that's fine. But to me, that might be doing yourself a disservice just because there's so many different, like you said, so many different, you know, it, it just a scratch or however you want to say it. But I mean, mm-hmm. like the more you read, trying all these different things, like sometimes reading what people might think is lowbrow, highbrow, whatever, you know, I think there's a lot of value in kind of just reading promiscuously, which is actually the title of another book I just started. I really <laughs> like that term. Um, but yeah, just that idea of like, I mean, just there's so much out there. Why limit yourself? So that that would be my my only thing, you know. Well, and well, as you say, you know, why limit yourself? Again, if that's what people want to do, then that's great. As long as right. it's fine. The, where it becomes very problematic for me is when you then want other people to limit themselves as well. Because yeah. what you've got is what's right and what other people are doing is what's wrong. Right. There's actually a really interesting article. I haven't read it all yet, so I'm just going to point to it on romance mm. and how these books are actually, yes, they, they may follow a certain formula to an extent, right? Right. But they're getting and working through that with characters and with um, plotting is often brilliant. And mm-hmm. I don't read romance and probably a, a part of me would be like, well, I don't want to read a romance. Right. But this article was really interesting in pointing out, hey, these are characters who want a good relationship, and oftentimes they end with them having one. Mm-hmm. Why is it that that's old hat and not fun and not worth reading when you could read, you know, and I, I was talking to my wife a little bit about it, you know, and, and I, this is not to denigrate John Updike, who you, you talked about earlier, right? but how many books about a man who oh, yeah. wants sex and hates it? Mm-hmm. How you know? Oh, that's so fresh and re- and a relief. That's the 80th book like that I've read this year. That's so fresh in how it deals with a man's <laughs> sexuality and toxicity and yeah. Philip Roth. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I do. I mean, I, I I'm a big Philip Roth fan and no, all I'm that. Too. But talk about sameness. Yeah, and and these issues that yeah they do feel deep. But why not expre- explore these other things? Mm-hmm. And so I think these things say a lot about culture and our part in it and and what we've bought into and what we haven't and yes there's there's just junk out there i mean but there's junk literature there's junk books oh, that yeah. are on the booker shortlist uh, you they know at times yeah. and and that are actually to my mind junk like this mm-hmm. was a this was not worth 
its its space for various reasons, you know. But again, for me, I know people love some of these too. But right. No, it's funny because I don't know if I would define it as a romance, but I recently read um, "Normal People" by Sally Rooney. Oh, uh-huh. and, it, and I it was a little outside of what I would normally, you know, have caught my, something that would have normally caught my eye. But it, it, people just kept talking about it, and so I listened to the audiobook, and it definitely has a lot of elements of romance to it. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it's it's probably considered more a literary fiction, but maybe a crossover, or whatever. But I mean, that book was really good. So, like you said, it's it, that old, whole idea of just try some things that you haven't tried before that might not yeah. be the first thing that jumps out to you. Well, and, I've been reading Laurie Colwin um, mm-hmm. this year. I didn't even know who she was until like Dorian on Twitter pointed her out to mm-hmm. me. And uh, Vintage and Harper uh, both have rights to certain books, but they've they've re released them, and those are very much romances and happy ones at that. Yeah. And they're so fun. I'm like, I'm reading, I'm reading a, a 1980s dramedy, you know, that would play out <laughs> in the, in the, in the theater yeah. and just having a delightful time. Oh yeah. Well, like even, you know, you go back to some of my favorites, Jane Austen or like mm-hmm. um, the more modern, some people say the modern day Jane Austen is like Barbara Pym a lot. Uh-huh, they have uh-huh. a ton of elephant element of, um, you know, romance and, you know, ships passing in the night that never quite meet and then they come together at the end or, or maybe they don't. But I mean, yeah, there's, it's, it's running through so much of the other types of literature we think of anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we've kind of gotten into a different, an interesting tangent, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in, in my own, and it's my fault for tr- defending reading fantasy and things like that, or, or the different reasons that, that someone might read them. I, I know they, they can feel childish be- and, and again, it, it seems like that teenage boy mm-hmm. fantasy reader who wants to go and buy, you know, a staff and magical amulets at that weird store in the mall or right, you know, right. now, now wherever they are and dresses funny and wears, you know, these kinds of shirts with sparkles and wolves or, you know, Oh, that's a fantasy reader. But I think there's a legitimate um, side to it as well. Um, that hasn't been me yet. Maybe it'll, mm-hmm. maybe it will become me soon. <laughs> I don't know. In an effort to get back to my youth, but yeah. uh, I want to see what shirt you're wearing during your next. We're during our right. next. Today yeah. I'm wearing a, a, a family reunion shirt. Yeah. I'll uh, see if there's any through. wolves or eagles <laughs> on your next one. But no, I, I agree. And and I mean, if you don't mind, I was just going to throw out. Like I think I do think Harry Potter. You know, I know that there's mm-hmm. been some issues with J.K. Rowling. You know, recently, but as far as what she has done to reinvigorate, you know. The, the genre and get people excited and especially kids excited about reading. But then there's a couple other ones like, um, you know, I, I mentioned Gormenghast. That's do, not do a mind, new one. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Be, before you get to Gormenghast, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that. J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter is is one of those topics that I find very fascinating. Not not her, you know, her current issues right, and, and right, such. Right. I mean, that's kind of sad. And yeah. um, people can can approach that and do what they want. But as far as just the books and, and her writing of them, mm-hmm. that's kind of emblematic to me of this well that's just a kid's book it is a kid's book of course it is but there's a really interesting episode of the of bookworm podcast Mm. um Mm -hmm. with michael silverblatt you know he's been doing interviews with authors for decades and you know very good reader oh yeah and it's a german critic and i sorry i cannot remember the name of the german critic that he is talking with who loves harry potter and michael silverblatt kind of calls him out on that and says you can't. That's just junk, you know. Why, why mm-hmm. do you why do you defend Harry Potter? And he talks about it, and it's fascinating conversation. And he brings up the part where 
Oh shoot! What's her name? What's the terrible woman in book five? The the, the oh, school Mrs. Umbridge. Umbridge. Dolores Umbridge. Or Dolores Umbridge. Where she has Harry Potter writing, mm. and and it scrawls on his arm. Yeah. I cannot tell a lie. And he goes, I'm not going to lie to you. I think there's brilliant things in these books, and they're fun, and all of this, and and it's a, it's you know it can't be broken down that way. And I look at it too. I'm like, okay, for somebody to be able to write that many characters. And th- that many worlds and make them so real to people that you can just read a very tiny passage and you can know where you're at in her mm-hmm. world and who's talking. That yeah. is something that most of most writers could not accomplish right. as much, you know, whatever you feel about her plotting or, or some of the, you know, it used to feel progressive, but now it doesn't anymore. Right. <laughs> and that's right, right. some of, some of her books. Um, you know, there, there is, there is something, something special going on there that, um, I don't even remember why I jumped into to, to to talk about it, other than to say, um, you know, to say that that there's yeah. there's a reason to kind of dig in and and um, and see what we like and what we don't like, and oh, absolutely, and why we think other people should feel the same way doesn't necessarily play out. <laughs> no, exactly, and no matter what else anybody thinks about her, you know, and and I think a lot of it is very valid, and, and I wish she would kind of just get off social media and just let the books stand by themselves, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, those books, I mean, just seeing the way my kids light up when they still mm-hmm. talk about them. My my youngest is planning on rereading them again. I mean, that right there alone, to me, it's like, that's so valuable because it's a cliche and it's kind of corny to say they build these lifelong readers. But I mean, there's truth to that. And I think if nothing else, I will always appreciate that about those. And I won't touch too much on Gorman Gas because that's not, that doesn't fall under like any kind of new fantasy. But I would just say anybody who hasn't read those, if they're interested in something that's a little bit more it maybe blends a little bit the fantasy with some of like the very flowery writing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's amazing. I love those. And then the Philip Pullman's, his dark materials trilogy is another one that we've read with our kids that I think ticks a lot of these same boxes where there's this really cool world. It's kind of an alternate reality um, and all kinds of cool, you know, polar bears and all the, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff. That one does get into some pretty, I've heard it, compared and i think even pullman compared it to kind of like the anti c.s lewis because it does Mm -hmm. you know it definitely takes some swipes at religion and some other things like that but it they're really good i mean to me some of that's pretty fascinating um so anyway i would i would highly recommend people trying those too i think those are excellent books so those were just a couple when i'm thinking about not necessarily the future of fantasy Mm -hmm. but what's going on now um or has gone on more recently well, and I would recommend things like Ink Heart uh, by yeah. Cornelia Funk. I enjoy those books. If I'm going well back, uh, this may be more sci-fi, but I was thinking of The Invention of Morel yeah, by Adolfo Bioy Casares. Mm-hmm. Um, I did write down The Gormenghast because I, I hoped you'd bring it up, but I, I, bought, I did get those. I just haven't read them yet, yeah. um, but looking forward to it. I'm very excited. No, they're ones that, that I, I want to talk more about them, but it, to be honest, it's been a while since I've read them, so I have more like sensory images of those books with like Mm -hmm. some very specific passages but it's just the life of this castle that's this big rambling huge castle with all these wonderful descriptions and there's all these rooms up in the attic that are just kind of haven't been explored for like decades or even centuries and people stumbling around and cooks and you know there there is some kind of more higher fantasy elements to it but a lot of what i enjoyed was just the descriptions of this rambling world and all these like strange characters and I don't know. It, it's just super fascinating. And in fact, some ways 
you mentioned Piranesi. It kind of has some of that well, same. As where you say that, I'm yeah. sitting there going, well, that's what I'm reading right now. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's true. I think that might've been, I, I didn't make that connection, but yeah, there's a lot of that. I, I just, a lot of the fascinating parts of fantasy that I still miss are kind of those, you know, just these hidden towers and all these like secrets and I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, that those are great books. <laughs> well, I did want to talk a little bit about, I think that fantasy and I'm kind of new to it again, you know, I'm mostly reading Brandon Sanderson's stuff just to try and kind of catch up there. Um, But I have been reading Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files, which I talked to you about. Those are Mm -hmm. kind of comedy, fantasy, thriller, detective, you know, PI, well, more PI kind of books that take place in Chicago. Um, Those are, those are a lot of fun. And definitely not something I'd recommend just to anybody, but they're fun, fun stories. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that I'm intrigued by. There's a series called The Gentleman Bastards, hmm. which kind of takes place in a like a almost Venetian uh, setting of fantasy. And the first one's called The Lies of Locke Lamora that I've heard a lot of good things about that I'm interested in in reading. And I should have written down the author. I thought that I would remember it. So Scott Lynch, Scott Lynch is the author of, of that series, the, the Gentleman Bastards series. Those I've heard a lot of good things about. I've heard good things about a, th- a series called the Powder Mage trilogy or series. It might be mm. the Powder Mage trilogy. I don't, I don't remember. And I didn't write down the author of that one either. So let's, uh, the Powder Mage trilogy is it, is it a trilogy by Brian McClellan. Again, heard good things about those, and that almost seems to take place in like a revolutionary war mm. type setting. There's, of course, George R. R. Martin's unfinished Game of Thrones. There's also the unfinished Patrick Rothfuss books, like The Name of the Wind, and oh, yeah. um, and th- those. That's a it's a trilogy, but he's only written the first two, and it's every day it looks more and more like well, he's probably never going to get to book three, even though he mm-hmm. talks about it quite often. Right. You know, there there seems to be a lot, and, and this is just me barely scratching the surface of what I have even looked into there seems to be a lot of unique and kind of fresh ways of dealing with this. I would, in order to circle back, I would say one of the the things that makes me encouraged by this is something like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Mm -hmm. Susanna Clark, which is a, such a fun fantasy book. Oh man. That takes, it it takes place in uh, the revolutionary for the, the, during the French revolution, during Napoleon, Mm -hmm. actually a little Mm -hmm. after that. So Napoleonic Wars, in England and deals with magic and, and it's, yeah. it's so wizards and, oh, yeah. and all of that. No, I mean, we might as well. I mean, that was going to be my, yeah. my recommendation. So I, I said, we'd come back. I mean, we can just touch on it briefly, but yeah, you, what you just described. I mean, I remember when that book came out, there was a lot of hype around it and I picked it up and I read it. I got it for my birthday. And so I read it during the fall into the barely into the winter. Cause I burned through it pretty quickly, but I mean, talk about one of those, you know, where you remember every detail of where you were and you get these mm-hmm. certain feelings. I mean, yeah, that one to me was one of those books that was kind of, will always stand out. I mean, I loved everything about it. I loved the, the history of magic that was written in. The I love notes, the footnotes. I mean, <laughs> those, those footnotes you would read it and all, some of them would go on for like two or three pages. And that could mm-hmm. have been so <sighs> tricksy and like annoying but mm-hmm. she, in my opinion, at least she pulled it off wonderfully. And it, if anything, it yeah. added so much value that I can't imagine that book without them. So, yeah, I mean, I love everything about that book. And it also had like, it was funny, but it also had like, it was so dark. And well, 
Uh. One of the parts that I remember so well and vividly is when they go to that um, castle in York. Mm. And the, I think it's the rocks, I think it's the walls that start to kind of speak and repeat things that have happened there that are pretty tragic, you know. Oh, yeah. I think there's the a rape and murder of a of a young girl in that it might have even been a church. Mm-hmm. And the way the rocks are talking, and it's not just that, it's not just the rocks that happen as a castle, but it's things that happened around those rocks throughout history. So there's even like ancient history tragedies that have happened in, mm-hmm. in there. And I remember reading that part and just feeling it, there was a darkness that mm-hmm. um, was palpable and very in, in, interesting and intriguing, but also kind of eye-opening, you know, it's a sense of, of time collapsing mm-hmm. and of these forgotten people still living at terrible, terrible moments that no one cares about anymore. Kind of reminds um, me of like the barrow downs and Tolkien going back to that, like the, you know, when mm-hmm. they end up underneath those barrows and there's all those, you know, ghosts and ancient, you know, uh-huh. weaponry and all that stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Those connections. Yeah. I mean, and there's another part, I don't remember the details from Jonathan Strange, but the part, it's kind of like the ghost like part of the the candles behind everyone's eyes and all that stuff. And yeah. it's just like, Oh, oh some of these images. The fairy world, yeah. the fairy world in that book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd completely forgotten about that aspect. It's making me it. want to read it again. Actually, <laughs> we're coming up to the fall here. I might have to pick it up again. I always f- picture that as like a fall and winter novel, just probably because of when I read it the first time. But yeah, well, do you? Did you? Uh, I know you don't necessarily like to do this, but did you watch the miniseries? I did not, and just for that same reason, uh, it's just the what my youngest son, when he was younger, used to call. He doesn't want to ruin his mind pictures from uh-huh. a book. And I always thought, I always liked that description because it's like you have these you, these images in your head, and you know, with Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, you know, over time, yeah. they've, you know, been eroded a little bit. But I have thought about it. Did you watch it? And did you have any thoughts? Yeah, I really liked it. I, my wife and I watched it, and both had a, a, a really good time with okay. the, the miniseries. And it's been, you know, here's my experience with a lot of that stuff. It's been long enough since I saw the miniseries that if I read the book, I don't, I don't think it would. St- I don't have that good of a retention anymore. I know that's true. <laughs> I don't think it would. Um, it would. It might affect the way that I remember the book. The first when I'm watching the miniseries and seeing mm-hmm. what, whatever characters and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it certainly. I don't think if I went back and revisited it would um, would have too much bearing on it. I think it would be the book again. And its own thing, but but yeah, I'll, for, for you, you do what you want. But I will yeah. recommend um, yeah. anybody who's interested okay. check out the miniseries. It's pretty pretty well done and and quite uh, quite fun. And one, um, one of these days, you're going to get me to watch that and and Lonesome Dove. You know, you're going to break through my defenses. I don't know if I want you to watch Lonesome Dove uh, because then I would feel bad because <laughs> I know that that is such a special thing. It is um, for you. Wow. However, uh, but though, though on that one, I would say the same thing about the miniseries. It's kind of one of those special ones that oh, really opened up my eyes. And, and um, you know, I've been a Robert Duvall fan ever since I watched it, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. And every time I watch it, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like it as much as it probably meant more to me back then because I was young or something. Right. And I watch it and I'm like, oh, man, that is just, just so special, so powerful. Yeah. Oh. But, you know, again, I, don't, I, I certainly don't want to. If, if it did, if it did mess up your your reading of that book, I would feel terrible. No, so. <laughs> there would be no need for that. But yeah, I don't know if I'll ever pull the trigger. But that's definitely one. Given how much I love that book, the fact that it still tempts me says a lot about how highly everybody talks about the miniseries. So we'll see. But All right. Well, 
I think we've kind of done our recommendations. Yeah. At least we, we rambled off about a, a few other fantasy books and other books and all of that. I did want to ask you about The Ladies of Grace Ado. Is that one worth uh, picking up? It is. I mean, I it's again, it's been so long since I've read Susanna Clark that I, I'm afraid to go into too much detail. But it is basically a series of stories that were either in the world of Jonathan Strange or at the very oh. least uh, slightly adjacent so absolutely, it's worth it. And I think that was during the time where I know right after Jonathan Strange, she had talked about writing another big novel in that world, dealing with some of the minor characters from Jonathan Strange. And I don't know if that is still in the works. I know that Jonathan Strange originally took her like a decade to write. And of course, at that time, she had no pressure because she that was her debut novel. Um, as we've talked about throughout this episode, there's different pressures that come once you've made it big. And so I don't know if that's impacted the fact that she hasn't come up with this other novel, but that was kind of a, a fairly quick follow-up. And so I don't remember my, I'll just tell you my impressions of it was that it was worth reading, but not on the same level as these hmm. other two. Um, and I, again, I know okay. there may be people out there who are huge fans and feel like I'm blaspheming right now, but that was my impression is that it's interesting and kind of not a curiosity. I don't mean to diminish it, but like not on the same level as Piranesi and, Jonathan Strange for me, but I would still pick it up and read it for sure. I, 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 I mean, it's good stuff. As you say that, not wanting to blast, you know, blaspheme anything, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a good way to, to wrap this up is to say, I know that there's a lot of fantasy and other aspects of fantasy that we didn't touch on today oh, yeah. because I think both of us are just not there. You know, we're, it's not anything. Um, we're not trying to say that what we have read is, you know, fantasy or what we're talking about is fantasy encapsulates everything i know there's a ton of ya fantasy mm-hmm. um some of it stuff i'm sure i would love and some of it stuff i'm sure that i would be like what in the world is that right um but my kids are getting into some of that and oh, yeah. i think some of it looks fascinating um there's laney taylor has a, a couple of books that just came out one called strange the dreamer and i can't remember what the second one is called and i know that a lot of people love that and i would call that a kind of a fairy tale fantasy from mm-hmm. what i've heard of it and i'm looking forward to to opening that up and reading it soon so i am still trying to expand um oh, yeah. not not trying to say that this is the experience everyone should have or i'm sure that i i know because i i went to the bookstore with my son a few weeks ago and the bookseller there was perfect for him work you know just like oh this series and these books and you know i know there's so much richness out there that we Mm -hmm. don't even you know we didn't touch on today because we just are still trying to expand in that while we while we chat and have fun about all this this is this is for us not a a position of of power or of uh preaching but of uh let's talk about this and see where it leads and what new adventures can await us in the world of books so yeah exactly (laughs) no it's a lot of nostalgia but for me especially but like you said, seeing it through my, my kids' eyes, I'm, I'm enjoying watching them revisit some of these books that we talked about. Like when I encourage them, like David Eddings, like my oldest son tore through those and loved those. Hmm. Other ones they try and they're just like, what? No way. But then they're finding all these things that I don't know about. So like you uh-huh. said, it, it's nice to see that they're still through, you know, they're at the age where I was when I started getting into all this. And you can see it's not the same journey, but they're going through a similar journey where they're discovering some books that maybe in... 20, 30 years, they'll be talking about it with their friends and saying, do you remember, you know, that one? And so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> and remember my dad, you know, didn't even know about any of this. Exactly. Yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> oh, it'll happen. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks listeners. We'll be back here 
here soon. That was a fun conversation. Hopefully not too self-indulgent, but just more just enthusiastic. And I appreciate uh, if anybody has any suggestions or thoughts or anything like that, please share them with us. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, Paul. Very nice to chat again this morning. Thanks, Trevor. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time.